This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. At The Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now, and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only Wasp buys last. See store for details. This is Jack Wilson from the History of Literature. You're listening to a recorded history podcast. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Rose Sampson, folks, and after a long hiatus, about a month, a month and a bit, last time I recorded, I believe, was with Katie Heindel at the very end of July. Now, in the dog days of the NBA season, right before it gets exciting, I'm, I'm about to talk to my guy, my buddy, my friend, Louis Datsman. Louis, how are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, man. Always happy to do these with you. Yeah, so I'm wondering... You were a busy guy this summer. If you want to kick us off with an interesting uh, factoid or story about how your summer went. You were, you were really busy. It's been awesome. So actually, I had an amazing weekend. Last night I was at a wedding. And after, you know, imbibing a tiny bit, a friend and I jumped a barbed wire fence and went out into a field where some horses came over and visited in the pitch black. And that was amazing. Cuddled with horses. It was surreal. They just they, came over to you? They just came right over and said hi. That's insane. I don't I, know that I've then, ever heard of that. And then today, to sweat it out, I went to uh, play pickup with some friends. We were on like a quest to find the best outdoor courts in Toronto. And I think the quest might be done because we went to a new court today and we you know, got a pickup run with some guys there, which was great. And one of them was Shad. 
you know, the the rapper, the the radio host, he, and he's amazing. He's like the nicest guy I've ever met. It was so much fun. Well, can he hoop? He was really good. Oh, perfect. That's always it's so interesting to see how people play basketball once you start playing with them. Because you know, a lot of people how they talk or how they talk about basketball, it's interesting to see if any of that comes from how they play or if it's, you know, exclusively just from how they perceive basketball. So that's interesting. He's he was the type of guy he unbelievable jump shooter. He's the type of guy who'd hit four pull up threes and then miss the fifth and apologize for it, you know, that type of thing. Oh, okay. He's a knockdown then. Playing with guys like that is always my favorite because if you get them an open shot at all, you know, it's a good shot for the offense. And nobody ever plays defense out to the three-point line like really, really well in pickup. So the guys who shoot really well, they eat. And if you have them on your team, you can get to like 11 in like that, like in half a second. Oh, man, I stopped shooting like at all. It was fun. Yeah, just getting him the ball, seeing what happens. So. I think there's a decent overlap of Raptors fans and Team Canada fans, especially for people who listen to this podcast or take in RR content, imbibe RR content, to take that word you used earlier. I feel like we can touch on that, the Canada experience. The Jeopardy music will start when you begin to answer and see if you can describe the Canadian experience of watching the World Cup in roughly 30, 45 seconds. Feel free to start whenever you want. I would say it was a disappointing summer for Team Canada. And not super unexpected. I mean, Canada has always, for a long time, had difficulty getting the talent to suit up. And it's understandable, because when if guys from Canada want to play in the NBA, they usually go down, play, school, play for schools in America, and they leave Canada when they're, you know, 12. And they live in the States for the next 15 years. And so if a guy is, you know, spends half his life, the most recent half, in the United States, I understand why people don't have that connection. And it's a shame we're talking about the players who didn't play rather than the ones who did. But that's the reality for for Team Canada right now. And they need to find a way to fix that. So how do you think that changes for, like, a European player? Like, obviously, Enes Kanter can't play for Turkey. But he came, yeah. well, because of obviously personal reasons, but yeah. he also, he came over to play school in the U.S. A lot of players from Europe do. Things like that happen, but they still a lot of the time will go back. And a lot of time also, like, they'll be playing in Spain, even if they're from, like, Serbia or wherever. Like, Christos Porzingis was playing on the same team as, like, Carl English, Ricky yeah. Rubio, those types of things. Why do you think they go back? Like, why is it so much different in Europe, do you think? Well- I think oftentimes it's oftentimes it's individual relationships. You know, they go back because maybe the coach of the national team has had a hand in their development. They've coached them at some point. You know, it's it's those individual relationships. And Nick Nurse really understands that. And a lot of his post-game discussion has been about how to develop those relationships with guys. So I think they're going about it the right way, but it doesn't click overnight. It's a program that needs revamping you know, in the, in the individual basis. And, uh, and it looks like they will do that. So do you think that it starts at, because obviously CIS, while also not being at the same level as the NCAA, but is played much different. It's not like a lower level of NCAA ball or NBA basketball. It's a, a very different style of basketball. Yeah. 
Do you think that the CIS ever morphs and changes to try and grow to ameliorate to where the NCAA is or Div 3 or Div 2 colleges? Or do you think that it's just going to keep happening that, you know, Canadian players, they go over to America and the change has to come once they're adults and they have to take the pride in themselves and that you grow in the personal relationship rather than the organizations that, you know, support and where the kids play? That's a good point. That's a good that's a really good question. I think it's when a couple guys make it to the NBA from the CIS, when it becomes viewed as a possible pathway, that would really help. Because then people like Elijah Fisher, for example, uh, who, for those who don't know, future, you know, probable NBA star who's Canadian, very young. Um, if people like that chose to stay in the CIS, that would really help develop those relationships for sure. But I don't really see that happening anytime soon. Just some of the CIS guys do have to make the NBA first. Yeah, and I think, well, with Elijah Fisher, do you think it would kind of dampen his game if he stuck around the CIS? Like, he wouldn't grow to the point where he would if he played in the NCAA? I don't actually know if I think that. I think at that stage in your development, um, you know, coaching and and learning the basics... uh, can matter more than the level of competition. So maybe it would hurt a little bit, but probably less than people expect. Oh, interesting take. I guess I've I've been of the mind that it's really tough just because of the style of play to go from the CIS to the NBA. But maybe maybe we've watched a different amount. But that's that's interesting. I would love if the CIS was a viable route to the NBA. That would be awesome for Canadian basketball. Or the G League. Yeah, the G League, too. Um, I think there's a lot of growing to be done there. But that's a good point. I think the G League is more viable than the CIS. And that would be a cool thing for maybe the 905 can become, you know, the hub for young Canadian talent to kind of make their way into the NBA. What do you think about that? Oh, that would be so cool. And Jamma Malala, the head coach, Canadian I mean, he would be, I think he's a really good skill developer. He's a great people person. He would be the type of guy who could help a lot, you know, molding that talent. And then also if he were part of the Canada basketball program, taking those relationships to the next step as well. So Jem is, I mean, Jem is my guy. I love that guy. But uh, but he could he could help that. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, it's exciting because, you know, like if you're starting a team, in NBA 2K or in FIFA, sometimes it's really fun to build from the ground up rather than take like the best team like Golden State or Real Madrid or something. So there's a lot of options for Canada to try and grow their game, and it'll be exciting to see how it grows going forward. Moving away from the Canada stuff and on to something that's very personal for you is the personal goodbye to Kawhi Leonard, the piece that you penned. What brought that on? Why did you feel the need to write that article? Because it's, you know, it was a couple months late, but that doesn't make it, you know, inherently less valuable. It was it was your take. And what made you think, like, this is what I need to write? That's a good question. I think a lot of it was I hadn't, you know, written the Goodbye Kawhi piece, partially because, uh, you know, I was busy. I was getting married <laughs> when he left. And then on my honeymoon, where I promised I wouldn't work. Um, But part of it was also just I hadn't really coalesced my thoughts. And 
it took a while for me to really sort through because it just everything was so uh, just just everything came so quickly with the Raptors this summer. It felt like from the playoffs to Kawhi leaving everything, just there's no time to breathe. And I think I needed time to breathe before I was able to sort of put my thoughts to word. What do you think changed? Because you did have that time away and you did, like you said in the piece, it it offered perspective. In the immediate, how do you think it changed for you looking at that situation, the way you saw it? What's the biggest difference between how you might have reacted and the way you did? Positivity for sure. Um, So I pre-wrote all three pieces. You know, I pre-wrote Kawhi stays. I pre-wrote Kawhi goes to the Lakers and to the Clippers. And just because I knew I wouldn't be able to react immediately when it happened. So I wanted something to have to go up. And my thoughts in that were really negative. Uh, You know, I was upset about the possibility of Kawhi leaving. And it hadn't happened yet, but I tried to put myself in that frame of mind. And I think... What's changed in the time is really, uh, you know, marinating in the positivity of the championship he brought. Because I've watched a couple playoff games, not a ton since they happened. And game six against Milwaukee, game seven against Philadelphia, those are going to be, no matter what, I can put that on for the rest of my life. And it will be a really meaningful, you know, spiritual few hours. And that, that'll never end, whether he leaves, whether he stays, that'll be forever. And I think that is so much more positive than any of the negativity of him leaving. And so I think my thoughts have just become more and more optimistic over time. How about you? Did it? Yeah, I was. Well, I was. I was on TV like the next day, right after it happened, and the feedback I got from my spot on, I think it was CTV or CBC. I can't remember, but it was that it was pretty positive. But you know, I lean that way anyway. Yeah. And I pretty much I I said what you said. I was like, well, you know. It's an incredible run. This will affect, you know, the basketball lives of everybody and how kids grow up with basketball in Canada and how the Raptors are perceived. And there's so many shared memories everybody has. It's it's a really cool thing. And I just, it wasn't the Lakers. That matters to me too. (laughs) (laughs) Like Clippers, I was like, fine. Clippers, whatever, man. As long as it wasn't like the Lakers exceptionalism meets the Raptors' inferiority. If it would have been that, I think it would have been tougher. Yeah. But the Clippers, for the most part, have been a pretty competent franchise. They've done all the right things. And I'm pretty pragmatic about basketball in a lot of ways. Like, I still enjoyed the championship run like crazy. But I was like, it makes sense that he would want to go there. The Paul George of it all. All the things stacked up there. It's like, that's a good basketball opportunity. I still wish yeah. he would have stayed in Toronto, but... I'm I'm in the same boat as you. It's it's been a very positive experience for me. I I love Kawhi Leonard. Show to that dude. He's he is everything for basketball in Canada for you know a moment in time. And now we get to sit back and instead of picking apart you know why he left and all those types of things, we can pick apart and appreciate the playoff run and then start to see the ancillary pieces, the Kyle Lowry of it all, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Saul. And those things will grow in our minds, too, because there was something about Kawhi that was all-encompassing. But there are a lot of pieces to that championship that maybe we'll grow to enjoy even more after this. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Absolutely, you're right. I was just talking with a, a friend. I have a friend who's a Celtics fan. 
and we were just talking about the title team with all those guys with the narratives. You know, James Posey, Leon Poe, Eddie House. You know, these basketball players who just they're on the last legs of their career, but they're still good. They've been journeymen. And uh, the Raptors definitely had a similar title team. And it was just all of these pieces at the right time. And not every championship feels that way, I think. But the Raptors have so many cool narratives and stories, as you say, beyond Kawhi. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing is that's why LeBron's championship with Cleveland was so perfect because it was that the Warriors were supposed to win. And so often in the NBA, it's the teams that are supposed to win that do that's it's a high possession game so probability falls in you know the lap of those who do it best but for this one year the raptors they captured the fire and they you know they made it happen it's yeah i love talking about it and like i you've gone over my piece that's coming out and there's so many fun things that happened this past year and they they set in forward other thing they set in motion other things and yeah it's it's been awesome exactly yeah yeah a corn maze, Toronto <laughs> Raptor, was made in New Brunswick, the Maritimes, where you are also from. Yes. Yeah. What is the largest thing you could make in appreciation in appreciation of the Raptors? The largest, so so physical thing. Sure. I am so bad with my hands. Honestly, like the best, the the most. The biggest physical thing I can make is like Ikea furniture. Um, so obviously I'm going to cop out and say, you know, the biggest thing I can give in honor to the Raptors is probably writing, you know. <laughs> but that's a horrible answer, but it's the one I'm sticking to. How about you? Well, before before I answer this, then what do you think is the biggest thing? What is the piece that you wrote that stands alone as the biggest contribution to the the zeitgeist of the Raptors. What do you think? I don't know if I've ever contributed anything that actually, you know, is worthy of the zeitgeist. I think there's one to cut you off, actually. And I think you and I have manifested it into existence is the Fred Van Vliet is an elite NBA defender, damn it. And I think that that was borne out in the finals. That's true, actually. I think Fred Van Vliet, my defending parts of his game, you know, and all my pieces not just this year, but like in past years, and him really proving me right has been awesome. But probably the most, you know, the gushiest fan piece really was in the playoffs. I wrote a piece about Kyle Lowry, comparing it to The Little Prince, and a book I really love. Yes. And, and that was definitely the, you know, the most, uh, the gushiest, really no basketball, just here's a guy I love. I'm just going to put a thousand words down about how much I love him. I think that's the best way. That was well. Didn't his mom read that? She did. She shared that, which was yeah. awesome. So maybe you know, maybe it is in the zeitgeist. You know, because his mom maybe maybe she sent it to Kyle, and now Kyle fancies himself as the little prince. That seems kind <laughs> of like the the antithesis of how he idealizes himself. But you know, maybe on the softer side of Kyle, maybe he starts calling his his son the little prince. <laughs> okay, we've gone far field here. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing I could make, I think, would be, in some fashion, maybe stealing cars and parking them, in kind of like a hieroglyphic sense that it would be this big Raptors 
thing on the ground. I just have to find a really big field. I'm from Saskatchewan, so there's plenty of space provided that I was there. I guess that would be the biggest thing. Are you an accomplished car thief? Not accomplished, not at all. But I think, <laughs> you know, if anything were to drive me to steal cars, sports hysteria seems to seems to have a grip on my emotions like few other things. So <laughs> I think maybe maybe that would be the thing. Sports hysteria makes me, you know, <laughs> steal cars, I guess. That answer surprised so, me. You were just in Saskatchewan. Were you scouting out? Are there a lot of abandoned cars? You're like, that one, probably no one would miss that. You know, I, I should just jump in that. Was that like, have you been planning this? Is this a, is this a thing? Yeah, oh, it's a thing. It's it's <laughs> no longer a bit. It's definitively, this is a master plan. The only bad thing is that public transit in Saskatchewan is abhorrent and terrible. So pretty much any car you see on the road is n- like necessitated for somebody's um transit of any type but like the public transit terrible there so if you see a car it probably needs to be used and that is a shame You're so that's to steal yeah <laughs> so that's my gripe with saskatchewan is the public transit is is terrible moving away from saskatchewan and more into uh breaking down players and their games. I'm curious because I like to appeal to you on a lot of these types of things. I'm I'm always interested to hear what you have to say. Which Raptor will surprise us most this year, and in what way? I think uh, OG Ananobi has the most space for his game to change next year. I think of the. I mean, it's easiest for a new player to surprise us, but I think you know both Hernandez and Konate. Is that, am I pronouncing that right, Sagaba? Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. I'm here to tell you about my podcast, The History of Literature. Hello. This is Edgar Allan Poe. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm Elizabeth Bennett. Come on Hello. in. I'm Emily Dickinson. Hello. This is Bartleby. Hello, it's me, Lady Macbeth. The Scrivener. Whoa. On The History of Literature, we journey through the world of great books taking a look at everything from the Epic of Gilgamesh to contemporary classics. We talk to authors and professors, and once in a while, we have a special guest. Hello, I'm Oliver Twist. The History of Literature podcast with Jack Wilson, where literature comes to life. Join us. We'll consider ourselves grateful. Thank you, Oliver. More gruel, please, sir. You bet. Can I take? Yeah, it might as well be that. I'm, I'm not the authority on the name. I... I can't remember what name I was saying wrong last year, but I, I'm not the guy. Oh, fair. So we'll just go with Kanate. So both of them, I think, they're very raw. I don't expect them to really be surprising people. And Terrence Davis is solid, good defender. He'll play, but, I mean, I don't think he has that ceiling as a rookie to really bust out. But Ananobi, I think, was just such a, a lost year. Uh, and he, his room, his game has so much room to expand in different ways. So I think Ananobi is the basketball person, the, ba- the basketball answer. The personality answer is Marcus Saul because he's just so much fun. And this whole year is going to be a victory lap for him on the court, off the court. And I think that could just has a lot of space for him to surprise us in really delightful, fun ways. That's... I, I really like that answer, actually. Marcus Saul, I think, could have he could have a really fun year as just a guy in Toronto. 
yeah, especially since like... they won't have and I guess also on the court as well because they won't have you know Kawhi Leonard in the offense they might look to Marcus All for a bit more offense and probably a fair bit more creation which yeah, is really could. cool to think of yeah he's there's... so fun as a passer yeah, there's a lot of uh, potential for fun five-out offense type things, or even elbow offense with him. He's obviously great from the elbow. And Ananobi, like you said, there's a lot of places for him to grow. Yeah. Which ways do you think he will, if you're doing the probability of it? I think it's people expect him to become a creator because he flashed all that passing as the rookie, right? But I, I think that is still a little ways off. Uh, and I don't think the Raptors are going to give him a ton of space to improve on the ball. But where I do think he is already excellent and, and could improve significantly um, is as a big, a legitimate center. Um, and I know it's a, it's a log jam down there for the Raptors, but OG Ananobi is so strong. He can really defend centers. People, I mean, when he and Pascal Siakam, in the few minutes they got as the, the bigs for Toronto last year, Ananobi was the one defending the centers. And I think if, if he improves his rebounding, his offense from that position, his screening, you know, his, his understanding and awareness, that's a, a place I think you could expect to see some growth next year. Of course, though, that would sort of ne- necessitate Ibaka or Gasol, one of them being traded or hurt, and you don't want to think about things like that. But uh, if given the opportunity, Ananobi could expand there. That's interesting. I think, well, that seems like the opposite of what most fans or pundits are hoping is for him to excel as a big man when I think a lot of people want him to be the heir apparent to Kawhi Leonard, to slot in at the three. So, yeah, that would be extremely surprising if he becomes, you know, like a a Sean Marion type player who can, you know, bang around on the inside but is also grayed out on the break, can play on the wing as far as defense and a little bit of offense. What do you, and you think the the inside game is more likely to come about, or do you think it's just more surprising? Oh, I think it would more, be more surprising. But I don't know. I mean, he could expand in so many different ways. It's hard. I don't know what's more likely, because you don't know what will happen with minute distribution and, and role and, and things like that. But I, what do you, I mean, what do you think is the most likely development? That's a hard one to answer. Um, the most likely development for OG, if I could be very concise, I think is very limited amounts of time in different games where he gets to operate as a creator, but not as often as last year. But he'll play with better players more often this year on like from the wing position. I think he'll be playing with Kyle Lowry more often, Pascal more often. He won't be stuck with a bench unit for those minutes as often. I think that is 100% going to happen. I also think he'll be receiving those minutes as a wing player, not yeah. as, you know, a forward or sorry, like a, you know, in the front court. And I think that they're going to try and get him to start hitting shots off of pin downs and stuff. Yeah, and no, he, like I think anything else is I have no idea because I think that would take, you know, lots of work on his end, which I'm sure he's capable of and he can apply himself and he can grow his game, maybe get a handle. But I, I'm not expecting like a lot of pick and roll action for him this year. But I think they're probably going to want him to be moving more as a shooter 
that would be a big step for him. And I think obviously his his team defense too will improve as well. Yeah, speaking about moving as a shooter, I was to prep for this pod, I was watching some Terrence Davis clips. And his shot, I mean, if he is a legitimate shooter, he shot 37% last year. When he is a legit, if he is, if that's real, because he shoots a lot on the move, I mean, coming off pin downs and pull-ups, you know, going right and left. If that's real, he could be a really important piece already next year. So like a, a Terrence Ross, 37%, as opposed to like a Pascal Siakam, 37%, is what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I expect it to be probably more the latter. Um, but if it's the former, I mean, I, I did not watch hours and hours of clips, obviously. But if it's more the, the former, oh man, what a piece. That's always tough to project from, from college shooting numbers to the NBA. I mean, you can kind of tell when a guy is Terrence Ross. What a, what a jump shot. Yeah. Oh, his game is so gorgeous, man. That was oh, yeah. that was the thing that made it so difficult that he wasn't ascending to like an all-star level was because his game is so easy. Like when he'd get the step in the lane mm. and he's at the rim in half a second and like, boom, or like he's coming off a pin down. His legs are all spindly on the catch, but he's so straight up top and he elevates and like it's this honey smooth, yeah. honey sweet, sorry. It's, yeah. I love watching Terrence Ross highlights because he is one of the silkiest players in the league. And it's, yeah, I was, how did you feel when he got traded for Ibaka, by the way? Uh, I, I mean, no is a strong word. I suspected Ibaka was going to be way better than, than Terrence Ross. And it's funny because Ross right now would be such an important piece for the Raptors. He's really grown. But Abaka, when he came, I, I was really high on him, and he's been fantastic. I mean, one of the biggest shots of the whole season last year was that Abaka pull-up three against Golden State. So that guy, I, I don't, I mean, he was awesome. I was happy when we got him. Yeah, well, that's, it wasn't talked about that much. I wrote about it a couple times, and also in, like, the, I guess, the player review for Ibaka was... You know, I detailed how important his offense was off the bench against the Warriors. And actually, he kind of destroyed the Warriors' second unit. And he ate yeah. their big men alive because he was he was really good against them. And he was unsung for pretty much the whole duration of the year. He was... Ibaka is one of my favorite stories. And like, I, like we alluded to earlier, maybe there's more room for us to talk about that story now that we're not talking about Kawhi Leonard and exactly. contending next year. More there's, there's more time to stew on the role that everybody played up to this championship. And that story hit Ibaka. So, I mean, the, the start of the year in that minute share with Valanciunas, he was so good. And then when he had to really play center when Valanciunas got hurt, I mean, his game sort of fell off. You could tell it took a toll on his body. And he really did become a, a, a little bit worse as the year went on. But he was so good in the playoffs. He picked it right back up from the start of the year. It's just you see guys, you see vets who know when it matters. In the regular season, they're, they're good. But in the playoffs, they turn it up that other notch. Yeah. And also, it was, it was kind of funny because I think you could tell in the regular season that every time he went up against Vucevic, that was the game. He was just like, nope, I don't need to play tonight. I'm just going to get bodied, yeah. and the Raptors are going to lose. And during the regular season, that was the case because Valanciunas was injured. I remember the game in January and the game at the end of December. 
Vucevic ate the Raptors alive. And it was during that little bit of a funk, but and Lowry's shooting as well. Everything seemed to just kind of crater. And then that that became like a mini storyline, right? It was like, oh, the Valanchunas of it all. And then he got traded before he could come in, quote unquote, save the Raptors. Yeah. And give them more front court minutes. It was last year was such a trip, man. I, I love it. There's so many like little stories that went into how the team was built and how much of it was built on the fly as well. That's, oh, yeah. yeah. It's deeply interesting. Yeah. Another thing that I find deeply interesting, Lewis, if you were in the NBA, what would your nickname be? Uh, that's a good question. I've never been a big nickname guy. Um, one time people used to call me Hoopla, though, and I don't Hoopla? know why. Yeah, Hoopla. Hoopla? And I love that nickname, and I want it back. This was years ago. And if I was in the NBA, I would make it happen. I would be like Durant, you know, when he forces his nicknames on. I would do that. I would make Hoopla a thing. Hoopla. Was that when you played, like, high school basketball, was that what your provincial tournament was called? No. Even this was when I was at summer camp. Oh. (laughs) This is way back when. Actually, um, I think – I might have had it from a staff member at that camp who I know listens to this pod. So, Daniel Engel, if you're listening, get in touch. You know, tell me if you gave me that. <laughs> if you remember how it happened. So, in Saskatchewan, and I think in, like, Alberta and Manitoba, I think that the provincials for basketball, like high school, is called Hoopla. And I know it is for sure in Saskatchewan. So, that's why I just thought it was kind of funny oh. because... When I went to provincials to play high school basketball, the tournament was called Hoopla. So I thought, that's so funny. I assumed that it was the same where you grew up and suddenly like you took your team to provincials and now they call you Hoopla, named after the tournament you took the team to. So that's why I thought it would be funny. That's but apparently still... it's not that. No, I, it's not. I mean, I did in third year, in grade 10, we came third in the province in Nova Scotia. But it wasn't called Hoopla. What was it called? I, I think just, you know, Nova Scotia Provincial. I can't remember. Interesting. Wait, so how did Hoopla come about? Like, why Hoopla? Like, my dad used to call me Slam when I was a kid. But my name is Sam. So it's it's kind of, it's pretty easy there. It's alliteration almost. So why Hoopla? I don't know. I, we're going to need some listeners to, you know, remind me. I can't remember. Did it have anything to do with basketball at that point in time? No, it wouldn't. Here's a fun, another fun one. Uh, my dad calls me Laser, which is, uh, you know, a bastardization of Eliezer, which is my Hebrew name. And Laser is fun for basketball also. Yeah. Laser. Laser Zatzman. Right? That's, that's pretty good. Do you find that a lot of people call you Louis instead of Louis? Oh, all the time, because it's the French spelling. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Louis? Oh, I'm totally indifferent. Interesting. Doesn't bother me in the least. What's the worst way you think you could pronounce Samson? Like, how do you think you you make that different? Samson? How, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of it. It's hard. That's a hard one to screw up. Yeah. I've never I've never really had that in my life, so... I was I was kind of wondering if maybe you had something for me. No, like a little. I'll think about it next part. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, you come up with something. Um, for the listeners, we're going to do the Twitter questions right away. But since it's the offseason, no ad. We're just going to... I'll cut into it. And then you'll be hearing the Twitter questions. You ready for that, Lewis? Let's do it. All right, man. Welcome back to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm still joined by Lewis Saftsman, my guy, my <laughs> buddy. And uh, we're about to hop into the Twitter questions. Lewis, I'm going to... I'm going to put this one towards you. Sam Zawaratko at Zawartako says, who would win in a battle royale between Mike Scott, Serge Ibaka, James Johnson, and Steven Adams? Wow, that's a very apropos question because Mike Scott, I mean, there was that video of him getting, like, attacked by a bunch of Eagles fans today. Did you see that? Oh, I've seen it. He ain't no bitch. crazy. (laughs) Uh, yeah, probably Steven Adams. I mean, I think that's almost even too easy. But did, what happened? I don't know anything about it. Is Mike Scott okay? Like, what, what happened? I don't know if he's okay, but I'll give you the backstory on it. Yeah. So he, he took a picture wearing his Redskins gear. Yeah. And then he went and somebody tweeted at him saying, like, Hey, man, I don't know if you should do that. It doesn't matter that you play for, like, the 76ers. Like, you might catch some smoke if you're wearing Redskins stuff. And he's like, oh, I'm about it. Don't worry. Like, he quoted the tweet and he said that. (laughs) And then somebody else was like, no, seriously, Mike. Like, I don't know if this is the best idea. And he's like, nah, it's going to be fine. Then a video surfaces of him brawling in the streets, like, at a tailgate. And you're just like, oh, what the hell? It actually happened. And, I can't yeah, so believe that. The gall, the the absolute madness. You want to talk about imbibing? How much imbibing do you have to do to square up with a six foot eight athlete? That oh. is braver man than I, but also much stupider. I I couldn't imagine looking at a six foot eight man and thinking now's now's my time to shine. Like let's and go Mike for Scott it. Scott is beloved in Philadelphia. I mean, yeah. they love him. It's insane. That would be like if Kyle Lowry got into a fight in the streets of Toronto. Like, unheard of. What? That doesn't happen in other cities. That's only Philadelphia. That, yeah, could you imagine Kyle Lowry squaring up with somebody over, really like, happen. football? Oh, that'd be insane. And, like, it would be yeah. funny because, like, Kyle Lowry... If it was a bunch of people who came at him, he'd be, like, turning rapidly to try and get at everybody. But the people that were running at him from behind when he turned would be knocked aside like bowling pins by his <laughs> massive posterior. By and dude. I think, yeah, that would be fantastic, but in the worst way. Yeah, in the worst That's, way. But also, I'm going to chime in on this one. I think it's James Johnson. He's a black belt. He's cold as hell man i think i think he would win i missed that i only heard uh abaka scott and stephen adams i was just thinking about yeah I, f- I forgot you said james johnson that dude his name is blood sport i mean i think he was undefeated too when he actually was fighting professionally so he yeah, probably was james, yeah james johnson and also like there's a lot of holds and stuff like i've seen videos like the last time I saw a video or something like that was there was two guys playing pickup and the one guy, they're arguing about a call and then they were saying like they should play for money and then the one guy swung on the other guy was like trying to 
I guess, like, be sneaky and punch him, sucker punch him. And then the other guy put him in, like, an ankle hold and was, like, all, like, you'll never play basketball again. Like, that's what he said. And I was like, man, that is so crazy that some people, when they fight, like, they're like, hey, if I get this hold, I can just do irreparable, irreparable damage to, like, their knee or ankle. But that's probably the best way to fight, honestly, because, like, you don't, there's no hitting really hard. And you can get in a position of control and you can talk the other person down. Yeah. And if their ankle is about to be ripped, they're probably like, okay, fine. Like, I'm cool. I'm cool. You know, instead of like these fists swinging wildly. And that's why I think James Johnson would be the guy. I think he put Steven Adams in some sort of leg lock or something like that. What do you think? Yeah, that's probably fair for sure. Interesting thing, though. That Could you imagine like guys that big? fighting that would a battle royale too i mean we a see battle it royale. I, 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 guys now I, I feel like people don't really actually fight when they're fighting in the nba no like well Sir, Sir actually Baca has to be aiming to miss right right i was actually just about to bring that up he's literally never landed a punch yeah he misses every time thank god right like that's you don't want him to land a punch could you, oh, Mafuzi fist landing on your face would be, that would not be fun. But also, there's a terrific meme that was born out of that violence. Is like when he had Marquise Chris pinned up against the stanchion. Yes. That's an incredible meme. So <laughs> at least something yes. good came out of it. Um, the next question, two from this guy, and we'll, we'll talk about both. From Derek Eight one seven four eight zero five nine. Do you ever watch Transformers, Lewis? Uh, like the old cartoons or the new movies? Like the Shia LaBeouf Transformers. Of course, I you know. Do you remember? Are you ladies man eight one zero five seven or something like that? I do. Yeah, that's this username reminds me of. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So Derek eight one seven four eight zero five nine says. What are the chances Lowry gets traded and the Raptors start a rebuild? And the second question, do you think the Raptors have a chance at the playoffs without Kawhi on the roster? Feel free to answer both of those. I think they're, I mean, there's almost a lock to be a playoff team. I would say depending on seeding, they would should probably be favored to win a first-round series. Obviously, depending on health and, and so many other things. Um, and then after that, I would probably bet on opponents without Kawhi. But, I mean, as a playoff team, absolutely, right? Like, do you have the same – do you disagree? No, I, I think I agree with that 100%. I think the Raptors – there's going to be a podcast. I think I'm doing it with Michael Pina doing an Eastern Conference prep or, like, preview. I'm pretty sure I'm going to rate the Raptors as, like, a top-four seed. And yeah, also, and to the other thing, I mean, like, if they trade Kyle Lowry, I don't think the top four seed is in play after that. But also, I think there's probably a decent chance they do trade Kyle Lowry and start a rebuild, as sad as that might be. But I, that's 100% a possibility. I mean, Masai Jiri, the emotion of trading somebody, clearly... It does not affect him very much. I mean, he traded DeMar DeRozan. He's yeah. tried to trade Kyle Lowry like 18 times. I man. know, I know. Like that's, <laughs> if anyone ever tells you Masai Ujiri isn't fallible, you can say he's very, very good at his job. 
but he also never understood how valuable Kyle Lowry was. And he didn't. I agree, though, that, you know, the Raptors probably, they might not even make the playoffs. If they shed a couple vets, Lowry is gone. One of Abaka or Gasol is gone in this scenario. They, they might miss the playoffs, yeah. But the thing about that is it's hard for, an, for the MLSE to turn down that, that, the playoff run the next year, right? It, it would be happy. You would make money. Everyone would rally around the team again. And with, if they don't lose anybody, they would be a tough out. I mean, no one would want to play this team in the playoffs. Yeah, I would be very surprised if they weren't, like, either in a game six or seven next year in, like, the second round. Yeah, that That wouldn't surprise me at all, really. And they will pound you. I mean, defensively, the Raptors are going to hurt people in the playoffs. That Yeah, that's the whole thing. That was Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam. The flash of the offense was obviously so much fun last year. But the defense was everything. And Marcus like, Alton breaks opponents. I mean, he's so strong. He mauls people. I mean, no one wants to go up against that. Well, that I saw Tas Mellis tweeted today. And I'm just going to jump off of his idea. But what do you think about Marcus Gasol being floated around to Western Conference teams for a Jokic stopper? Do you think that's a possibility? Anything like that? Yeah. Wow, I hadn't thought about that, but I mean, Jokic is a tough player to stop because his ability is in unlocking his teammates, and it's really, really hard for Marcus All to, you know, take that away. But I, he probably I, at this point, I think he's the best center defender in the league, right? Well, I actually, I actually think it would work really well. He obviously, Jokic is going to do his thing. But part of what makes Jokic so dangerous is how heavy set he is and yeah. his playmaking at the same time. Because a large part of the time is it's him getting deeper and deeper post position while also surveying the court. It's not like he pounds away, then puts his head up. It's like he's so heavy and so strong that he kind of like just moves back and gets closer to the basket while also being ready to pass or shoot at any time. But... I think if Marcus Gasol is standing in the post opposite of him, I don't really think that he'll be moving. Like, yeah, that's... I think he'll he might get a little bit, but Joel Embiid couldn't even like put Marcus Gasol back. So I don't know if Jokic could, and that would at least take away, you know, part of his scoring prowess. The Nuggets were really high seed last year, and nobody seemed worried about adjusting and taking players in to stop them. So I wonder if that would change this year. It would be cool to see if the Nuggets got that type of respect, but I I don't know that I see that. Oh, they're going to be good. I've always said you have to lose in the playoffs before you win. The Raptors got that out of the way. And Denver, I mean, hopefully they can too now. They were one of the last eight teams. They were awesome. They, Is uh, there a team that didn't lose in the playoffs before they won? The Boston Celtics, uh, when they won, you know, in oh. Eight? Was that their oh, title? Oh, yeah, yeah. But that oh, eight, was because yeah. the players they imported had lost in the playoffs. So that hardly counts. But, um, but yeah, almost every year, if you look at the champion and then look at who made it to the second round, the, you know, the third round the year before and got knocked out in six and was a young upstart team, they'll always, always have a couple losses like that before they're able to win. Yeah. 
Well, maybe that's a good comp for the Nuggets then, because I'm I'm thinking about the Warriors, and obviously it's not the same team. But when yeah. the Warriors won in 2015, I don't think anybody thought they would win that year. No. Even though they won 67, I think people thought, and it was largely led by a charge of Charles Barkley yeah, saying Charles that Barkley. jump shooters can't win. Yeah. And we hadn't had a team win like that before. And then suddenly, you know, they kind of trounced over the Cavs. And that was, you know, that was just the way it shook out. And then they were this amazing squad. And then they won 73 the next year. But then, blocked by James. And then Kyrie hit that shot. God, basketball is so good. I'm so excited for it to be back on. I can't even explain, Lewis. Oh, it's going to be amazing. We're going to get so much we couldn't even expect. You know, every year... You have no idea what's going to happen. It's so much fun. It's like Christmas morning, right? Before the season starts, it's it's the best. Yeah. Well, that's... I try to watch, like, every game for, like, the first two weeks because I, I'm just so excited about basketball. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you tune in for little things, right? You're like, oh, I wonder how De'Aaron Fox will run the Kings this year. Or, like, exactly. I want to see Gary Harris do a reverse. Or just, like, little things like that. I'm obviously still going to watch the Spurs. There are other points of interest. Like, everywhere in the league, there's an interesting story. And that, yeah, that's pretty great. That's a the good next... idea. Everywhere you look, you see a story. That's yeah. that's good. You see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I get that. I I think I like football. However, comma, I have not <laughs> watched it for like two years, maybe. I used to watch it quite a bit. I, I've been an Eagles fan um, since Michael Vick's crazy, crazy year. Deshaun Jackson is my favorite player. He's back on the Eagles this year, and he got two touchdown passes today, which is cool. But I was an Eagles fan. I had jerseys and stuff. But Wait, man, I are you yeah, a big ahead. enough Eagles fan to square up with Mike Scott? Never. <laughs> I would dap Mike Scott up, man. I I don't know what someone would have to do for me to square up with them. Fair. I I have no idea. Like, the, mate, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to me? I was doing a backflip, and somebody walked under me, and then I landed on my hand. My hand, third and fourth metacarpals. The third one snapped in half, and the fourth one broke in four places, like it was shattered. So now I have a plate, a metal plate in my hand with 22 screws. I dapped him up after he, like, after I landed on him, because I just landed, I broke my hand, and then I just gave him dap, and I was like, all right. I probably should have been really angry, but I have damage in my hand and all that. And that's, that was a bad thing to happen to me even make me angry i was just kind of like ah darn this hurts so i don't know especially i i don't i don't get angry like that i don't think not a violence type of angry yeah i know that story and that that injury cut short your basketball career right you were you were gonna play cis uh what not cis no it would well there's 
like different um different colleges. Well, okay, so the University of Alberta. Okay, I guess that's yes, the Golden Bears. But the University of Alberta and Olds, Lakeland, those types of universities. They're they're all in Alberta. But I didn't have an opportunity to play for uh, the U of S, which it kind of sucked. But that was uh, that was like the home province um, university. But that's okay. Um, so I guess yeah. But that was uh, yeah, no fun at all. But it didn't make me that angry, so <laughs> I don't think I would ever square up with Mike Scott. But anyway, uh, football is on, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, football's all right. It does its thing, but I think it pales in comparison to the NBA. I assume you feel the same way. Absolutely agree. So I do know football is on. That's based. Yes, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question from Samir Tushar at LeBron James twenty three says, what will be the more exciting moment this season? Opening night, you know, the ring ceremony and the banner, or Kawhi's return to get his ring? Oh, I love that question. I'm going to, you, I want to hear what you say first. See, part of me is like, it's going to be so much fun to see Kawhi back. And the emotion will be so much different. And also, I think the Clippers will be a really fun team. So all those things are really interesting. But also, like I had tweeted out recently, was I was watching Game 6 of the Finals again, and it was it was euphoric, absolutely euphoric. Yeah. So I think the ring ceremony opening night is, that's going to be the bee's knees, man. That's going to be incredible. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if it's even necessarily that hard an answer because I was thinking about it. And so I was in the building when Toronto went to the finals. I wasn't at Oracle when they won, but I was in Toronto when they beat Milwaukee. And, you know, I saw the confetti and all the smiles and that feeling of everyone getting their, you know, Eastern Conference champion hats and all the glitter. And I think Wayne Embry, you know, gave them their trophy and there were speeches. I mean, it'll just be, it it was a party and everyone was happy. I mean, all the journalists were just overjoyed watching this thing. It was a really meaningful moment. And I assume the ring ceremony will just be that turned up. And Kawhi coming back will be fun and great and a worthwhile story and an unbelievable game. But I don't know if for me, uh, it it could compare. Who's the most like? <laughs> okay, maybe I shouldn't ask this. I'm gonna ask it. Who's the most likely talking head to say something like incredibly stupid about Kawhi Leonard's return to Toronto? Oh my god. Uh, okay, I try not to disparage other journalists. It uh, doesn't have to be a journalist. I, like a talking. Like if I think like you can punch up to. Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless. I'm not asking you to come for like Michael Pina or yeah. Dave Dufour or like somebody who's, you know, in well, NBA Twitter. Things. Um, probably Stephen A., right? It's got to be. You could you could lay money on that and be very confident. Yeah. Well, also Skip Bayless has like a vendetta out against 
Kawhi Leonard since he left the Spurs. And I think the Spurs are Skip Bayless's favorite team. I think. He won't even say his name. He just calls right. him number that's, two. Yeah. That's his bit. He calls him number two. That's, just, that's so bizarre. I couldn't imagine feeling that way. <laughs> I think, yeah. Bizarre. It would be so interesting to meet those people in real life. Like Blake was saying that Stephen A. Smith was like cool as hell in person yeah. and i imagine he would be but it's it's so strange and so western that we have people who talk on sports shows but are actors that is so inherently western like the philosophy yeah. of that is so western that it's like not only is there like acting and like it's the individualization of everybody but so much so that like we have actors as sports like anchors like it's the the entertainment of it all has to take that extra step further that's crazy to me you know it's you know it's worthwhile for a lot of viewers i don't take in that type of content usually but it's it is so inherently western to me it's so funny it's wild but no, i mean it's i like it steve i met Stephen a as well he was you know not like he is on tv and uh He's so good at what he does. He is an unbelievable actor. It's crazy, but he's really good at it. I love the trickle down. I like I don't watch First Take or uh, I can't remember what uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless's show is called. I don't okay. watch either of those. But the trickle down, the little sound bites or like videos that are like two minutes long that get cut up and used in all the different ways. I think yeah. that is irreplaceable content in the Twitterverse, the internet, and I think it makes it so much more fun to be a fan. It's it's For so sure. funny to me. And it trickles everywhere. I mean, it informs so much of our discussion, and, and I mean, players very much know what those takes are. It really does set a lot of the structure that uh, of the conversation around the sport. Yeah. Well, that's it's interesting because on the one end, you have this kind of hyperbolic mainstream coming and that creates a lot of the narrative but then when people talk about things without narrative i think a lot of that comes from beat writers and it's so interesting how you know the groundwork the foot soldiers of the journalism industry create that you know channel of information and then the hyperbole from the shows comes and it coalesces and mixes into this you know this thing and that's that's probably where you and i are we're having the conversation in the middle of it right now i think yeah yeah this is the fourth wallet absolutely it all you know that's the cocktail that's the sports world all, all <laughs> together right yeah i feel like that's a great place to end it as well you know, An we can, one. yes like a very very apt night stream right yeah exactly um lewis before you go, before I let you get on with your day, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners? Share with the listeners? Not my, I don't have anything to plug. Um, I hope you listeners have a fantastic end of your summer. Enjoy your time before basketball starts because, you know, if you're crazy about it, you, you lose your time as soon as it's there. Time is gone after. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. I like that a lot. And my message to you listeners is that I hope you're having a great day. Such a great day that it's in fact blessed. 
whether you're <laughs> listening to this in the morning, at night. Have a blessed day. Thank you once again, Lewis, for coming on. And goodbye. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. I'm here to tell you about my podcast, The History of Literature. Hello. This is Edgar Allan Poe. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm Elizabeth Bennett. Come on in. I'm Emily Dickinson. Hello. This is Bartleby. Hello, it's me, Lady Macbeth. The Scrivener. Whoa. On the history of literature, we journey through the world of great books, taking a look at everything from the Epic of Gilgamesh to contemporary classics. We talk to authors and professors, and once in a while, we have a special guest. Hello, I'm Oliver Twist. The History of Literature podcast with Jack Wilson, where literature comes to life. Join us. We'll consider ourselves grateful. Thank you, Oliver. More gruel, please, sir. You bet. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.